may be wondering uh, how this T-shirt came about. We wanted to do a T-shirt, so I searched on the internet for Father's Day T-shirt. And among the various designs, we came across this. This is what an awesome dad looked like. But after some discussion, people felt like, wow, this is like too kwatsang, you know, kind of like praising yourself. So we just simplify it to this, and this is what we have now, okay? Um, wasn't quite my idea. What I really, really wanted, but didn't get any support at all from the staff of PPH, what I really wanted was this. But they say it was rude. I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> to me... In Hokkien, it's very simple, right? The father, that's what it means. But they say it's a rude word. Anyway, today the agenda is about men. And this gives me the great opportunity to preach the most MCP male chauvinistic something sermon you've ever heard in this church. Uh, men are simply wonderful. You know, it's so easy to get a Father's Day gift for them. Or not at all even. Even if we don't get one, it's okay. And we only need one color, gray. <laughs> so what I'm going to say today will almost certainly upset our ladies here, our sisters here. It may even upset some of our men here, especially those who are not as manly or as muscular as me. <laughs> you will see 2005. This was uh, done by our brother Cheng An. He photoshopped the whole thing. Uh, for me. And, and you will see that nothing very much has changed, right? The muscles are still there. It's just that the hair, the hair got a bit, a bit grayer, that's all. Well, today's is, is only half a sermon. So I'd like you to hold your judgment uh, until you hear me next week. Uh, next week, I'm going to address verses in the Bible that says women ought to be submissive, women are not allowed to teach, and women are to be silent in church. Uh, and then, the third week, I'm going to do the exact opposite by inviting our deaconess, Joanne, to preach here at our first and second service uh, about adolescence. And finally, on the fourth week, on the 6th of July, we've invited uh, Jason Wong. Jason Wong, who used to work in the prisons, who used to work in the Ministry of Community, Youth and Sports, uh, but he's resigned, and he's now chairman of Focus on the Family. And so he will come and talk to us about uh, 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 fathers and the family. So that's what's going to happen the next four weeks. Okay, so how are men, our men in PPH doing? I'm going to introduce a book to you later, but in this book, there is a chapter entitled, Have We Men Checked Our Testosterone at the Door When We Enter the Church? So men, have we? answer, you're supposed to say, hell no, as manly as possible, right? We do not check our testosterone at the door when we enter our church. You know, is there a gender gap in PPH? Is there a gender gap in this, in this church? A few months ago, uh, around about January, uh, Lim Chu, the leader of our men's ministry, asked me, uh, what do you think the proportion of men to women uh, is like in this church? And very quickly, I replied him, I think it's about 50-50. I think it's about 50-50. Um, and then I thought we better count. So we counted. We counted from March, 15 Sundays from March until last Sunday. And this is, 
this is a number. In the first service, we have 58% of women, sisters, and 42% of men. Counted over 15 Sundays, so it should be quite accurate. Uh, in the Chinese service, I just counted one time, and it was two-thirds men, uh, sorry, two-thirds women, and one-third uh, men. In America, the, the, the average in America is 61% women and 39% men. And it says that of um, 25% of American women who goes to church, goes to church without their husbands. So only about three quarters go as husband and wives. Huh? One quarter will just go like a single woman. So there is a gender gap. It's a gender gap. And you can say that we men are going down the path of dinosaurs in the church. We are fast becoming extinct. You've heard about UPG, Unreached People's Group. It's a missions term. Men are the largest unreached people's group in the world. You know, we study the culture, the language of some obscure uh, tribe in some faraway land in order to reach them with the gospel of Jesus. But we have this huge unreached people's group right here where we are and everywhere around the world. Half of humanity. And did you know that this unreached people's group, this UPG, have a unique culture too? a unique language, and a unique way of life. Let me get some feedback on this, okay? Which set, set A or set B, better characterizes the values of Jesus Christ and his true disciples? In set A, you have characteristics like competence, power, efficiency, achievement, skills, proving oneself, results, achievement, uh, 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 accomplishments, objects, goal orientation, self-sufficiency, success, competition. And in set B, you will have love, communication, beauty, relationships, support, helping, nurturing, feelings, sharing, relating, community, loving cooperation, personal expression. Which set better characterizes Jesus Christ and his disciples? Which set? Set B, right? A survey actually was done. 90% of the people who took this survey chose set B as Christian values. Actually, it is not about Christian values at all because these two sets of characteristics were taken from this book. Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. It is a secular book. And I sometimes use it for premarital uh, uh, sessions with uh, young couples. It is not a Christian survey at all. It simply shows the difference between men and women. Set A are the characteristics of men. Set B are characteristics of women. And now, I refer you to this book, Why Men Hate Going to Church by David Morrow. And David Morrow borrowed this set A and set B data from uh, John Gray, and he asked that question, which one represents Christian values? And 90% here, maybe 100% here, think that Christian values are more feminine. And so to be like Christ is to be feminine. So, men who like to talk, uh, men who are studious, who likes to read, uh, who are musical, who likes to sing, who are sensitive and relational, they will gravitate to such an environment. Those who are not will 
keep as far away from church as possible. Or even if they are in church, they are just an inactive uh, attender. And perhaps they, they even suffer in silence. Men have more problem reading and talking than women. Think not. Nobody knows why yet, but there are four times more dyslexic men than women. That is reading. What about talking? There are four to five times more autistic men than there are autistic women. You probably say, so what do you expect? Men are simply less religious. That's the way they are. Not true. Because the gender ratio is roughly 50-50 for Buddhism, Judaism, Hinduism. And among Muslims, men are publicly and unashamedly religious, much more than women. So among the major religions of the world, Christianity is the only one with a gender problem, with a gender issue. What I've shown to you are not just cute, interesting statistics to be shown on Father's Day. Men avoid going to church and men avoid the God of Christianity and they suffer for it. Men are more likely than women to be arrested, to die violently, to commit and be victims of crimes, to go to jail, or to be addicted. They die more often on the job, they have more heart attacks, they commit suicide in greater numbers. Actually, they try, they are more successful in committing suicides. Women and men commit suicides alike, but men die, women don't. And men live shorter lives than women. Men need Jesus and men need the church of Jesus Christ. Are you convinced? You know what doilies are? Doilies? D-O-I-L-I-E-S? Doilies? I had this secretary when I was in the Air Force. Head of planning of the Republic of Singapore Air Force. And her name was Pamela. And she systematically tried to feminize my office. You know, I had all these mean killing machines in my office, my, my adult toys, the models of F-16 fighter aircraft and attack helicopters and all that. And she will put a lacy doily under every model. And then she brings in plastic flowers into my office and put them on doilies. And all in my masculine, macho Air Force office. Well, fortunately, she could not get along with my chief clerk. One of them had to go. I transferred Pamela out. I know, I'm just a mean machine. Are we, in the same way, systematically feminizing Jesus and his church? So how do you picture Jesus? Close your eyes and... Oh, no, open your eyes and picture Jesus. Is that how we picture Jesus? How different is this picture of Jesus from a Korean metrosexual? I googled Korean effeminate men, and this was the first picture that came out. You know, Jesus was a carpenter, right? And I think he'd be more like this than like that. 90% of us, 90% of the people surveyed uh, on set A and set B characteristics, think that a Christian should be more set B, more feminine. 
Now, if you think of set A and set B as lion and lamb, right? So Jesus may have a lot of set B, feminine, lamb-like characteristics. But can you think of a Jesus that's only totally set B? You think of Jesus only as lamb and never of lion. So lion or lamb. What is the most lion-like passage in the scripture that you, you can think about uh, uh, Jesus? And, and I chose this one. John chapter 2, verse 15. Says, so Jesus made a whip out of cords and he drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who sold doves, he says, get this out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? This incident is recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I've chosen this one by John, the who lean on the breast of Jesus at the Last Supper. A very set B type, don't you think? The Lamb of God. But don't forget that this John was one of the sons of thunder. And he wanted to call down fire from heaven to obliterate a Samaritan village which did not welcome them and Jesus. It was very set A. It was very lion. Now, sometimes we are embarrassed by this passage in John chapter 2, verse 15. And ladies, you're going to crucify me for this. Okay, but let me quote to you from this book, Why Men Hate Going to Church. Quote, We see temple clearing Jesus as a lamb with PMS, having his monthly meltdown and dismissing it with, oh, he's not usually like this. Don't kill me. I'm just quoting from a book. So are we systematically feminizing the church? Let me point out three ways. Firstly, I believe we have a bias when we read the Bible. We prefer the lamb over the lion. Let me just take one chapter, Matthew chapter 11. When you think of Matthew chapter 11, which verse do you think of? 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Doesn't it suggest pregnancy? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But this chapter is both lion and lamb. In verses 25 and 26, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understand, uh, wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yeah, very lamb-like. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Yes, lamb. And then verse 29, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Yeah, Lamb of God. But what about verse 6? Blessed is he who is not offended by me. Yeah, Jesus is offensive. Verse 12, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Verse 21 to 23, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in ashes, sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it is more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than you. And you, Capernaum, you, will you be exalted to heaven? 
No, you will be brought down to Hades. You will be brought down to hell. Lion of Judah, Lamb of God. They are together. But we are very uncomfortable with the Lion of Judah. We much prefer the Lamb of God. But we need both. When your mission is to gather the saints and to study the Bible, to love your neighbor, we need lambs. But when you need to fight for souls, when you need to battle poverty, racism, cast out demons, what do you need? You need the Lion of Judah. When you need a goal-oriented, heart-driving person, you need the Lion of Judah. But you need both the Lion of Judah and the Lamb of God. This book, Why Men Hate Going to Church, suggested that you take your Bible and you highlight the words of Jesus. So I did that. It suggested pink for lamb verses and blue for lion verses. I don't do pink, so I have blue for lion and yellow for lamb. Let me show you. Uh, it was too difficult to do all four Gospels, so I have my oldest Bible here. And you know that the words of Jesus are in red, so I just highlighted what I think are the lion verses and what I think are the lamb verses. And you will see a lot of blue, a little bit of yellow, much more blue, blue again, a bit of yellow, blue again. Lots of blue, lots of lion verses, not so many lamb verses. This one is all blue. So what am I saying? Uh, let me quote to you from this book once again. Why men hate going to churches? It's very facetious, okay? It says, ministers, that means people like me as pastors. Pastors also like the lamb because he is such a good role model to the parishioners, to the uh, people here. Uh, lambs are easier to control than lions. They are docile and easy to lead. And I totally agree. Unless, unless your mission is to cross boundaries, unless your mission is to fight evil, to serve the poor and needy, then you want to have lions, so are we feminizing the church? We are if we have a bias when we read the Bible. And we are when we have certain preferences in worship songs. It's about how we read the Bible. It's also about how we lift our voices in worship. We sing of a Lamb of God who is warm, soft, cuddly. He's a comforting deity. Like Jesus, lover of my soul. Jesus, I will never let you go. Again, the ladies here are going to turn into a lion and going to maul me soon. Um, Jesus, lover of my soul, is a perfect companion and protector for women whose husbands have little time for them. Unquote. Okay, a quotation. I didn't come from me. I told you it was very facetious. You know, our worship songs sometimes use words that no man will say to another man, not even Jesus. I'm desperate for you. I want to sit at your feet, drink from your cup, lay back against you and breathe and feel your heartbeat. One suggestion was that if you take some of our modern songs and you replace the word Jesus with baby, and it still works, then something is wrong. You know, it's become a sweet, sickly, sentimental 
secular love song when, when that works. Men are looking for male leader, not a male lover. Get it? So what we have done is we have created and worshipped a half-Jesus, only the lamb part. And we make him less compelling to men as a result. And you know, lovey-dovey grace doesn't stir, doesn't quite stir a man's heart. Deep down, a man is stirred by severe love. A kind that's like a coach that puts you through hell in training and, and even shouts spit at you to build you up, to get every ounce of effort out of you in training. Or like the army sergeant who spits even more and pushing you to your human limits, make you shed tears and sweat in peacetime so that you will not shed blood in wartime. That kind of severe love. Or even the severe love of a teacher who pushes you and gives you all kind of homework to bring out the best in you. Why do men read C.S. Lewis? Why do men read the Chronicles of Narnia? Because there's Aslan. If there were no lion there, I think half of humanity wouldn't want to read that book anymore. And so this lion of Judah needs to be restored to the church of Jesus Christ. And that is his natural habitat. That's where Jesus lives, the church of Jesus Christ, the body. And he is Lamb of God, but he's also the Lion of Judah. Thirdly, sometimes it is our choice of Christian jargon. Ephesians 5 tells us that husbands ought to love their wives and wives ought to respect their husbands. And so you can say that a woman's greatest need is love and a man's greatest need is respect. And a whole Christian industry has grown up around this primordial need of women. But they also dish it out in equal measure to men. And so you have Christian books which tells you to develop an affair with the one and only lover who will truly satisfy your innermost desire, Jesus Christ. This is written by a rare woman who gave the man the first word and the last word. Because you can see there, Stephen Arterburn, who wrote the foreword and the afterword. I didn't know there was such a thing as afterword. A second book is, let me quote, At times, Jesus will be more of a husband to you than the man of flesh you married. And while your husband may wonderfully meet many of your needs, only the bridegroom can and will meet all your needs. And this was written by a man, Larry Kefauver. And the title is, Lord, I wish my husband would pray with me. If your husband, if you are a husband and if you are a non-Christian, you will see Jesus as your greatest rival in a marriage if you read words like this. And you're going to lose, right? Who can beat Jesus? So we have books like this. And this last example takes the cake, okay? There is even a book that invites Christian men, written by a Christian man, inviting Christian men to get close enough to reach up and kiss Jesus' face. Ew! And the title of the book is Kissing the Face of God. And this industry, this Christian industry, is systematically sissifying Christian men. You don't draw men with feminine jargon. How did Jesus draw men? John chapter 12, verse 31. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now 
the prince of this world will be driven out. But when I, when I am lifted from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. Jesus talked about judgment, driving out Satan, violent eviction, being lifted up, nailed on the cross, severe sacrifice. That's what draws men to him. Another Christian jargon is this word, sharing. John, would you share with us what the Lord has placed upon your heart? Do men really talk like that? Why can't we just say, John, tell us? Ah? You know, when I was looking through the church camp uh, a booklet, which you will get on Tuesday in Malacca, um, I saw sharing questions. So I cancelled it and I put discussion questions. Am I okay to do that? Huh? Not sharing questions, uh, just discussion questions. There's nothing wrong with the word sharing. There's nothing wrong with many of these songs that I've, I've quoted, even the books. But it gets too much when it's all loaded up onto you, right? When, when it's totally unbalanced. It's just that, yeah, it just adds up. If you don't balance our jargon with some lion speak like Jesus spoke in the Bible, soon we will be overwhelmed with lambs squeak. You get it, huh? It's, it's a matter of balance. Another one, personal relationship with Jesus. Anything wrong? What's wrong with that? We use it all the time. But it is a very feminine frame of reference, don't you think? According to the woman's greatest need, love relationship. And you know, personal relationship with God is not good enough these days, you know, because you need to be passionate. A passionate personal relationship with God. Still not good enough. We need to be intimate. We need intimacy with God. So imagine Abeng going to Aseng. And Abeng tells Aseng, Aseng, ah, let's just push it today, okay? We're not going to run five kilometers. Today we're going to jog 10 kilometers so that we can develop a passionate relationship. And Aseng replies, Sure, Abeng, I'd like to go the distance with you. I would like to enjoy more intimacy with you. say that to Abeng or Aseng, why would you say that to Jesus? So I checked my NIV Bible again, and I searched for the word passionate. It occurs once. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 5. Not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. Once. That was passionate. Then I checked intimate. There are four references. Two of them refers to sex. When Jesus called his disciples, he didn't say, come and have a passionate, intimate relationship with me. Actually, he only spoke two words, follow me. Follow me. It suggests a mission. It suggests that there is a goal. It is not couple time. I mentioned Ephesians 5.33 earlier that man must love his wife and a wife must respect her husband. And so we can say that the woman's greatest need is for a loving relationship and a man's greatest need is for respect. And you will see it in men's movies. The hero saves the world against all odds. People die, there's blood everywhere. And then the, the, the man himself is crippled, but he still can climb up and... Or he dies, but he's respected. He's respected. And then you look at women movies. First, he hates the man, can't stand the man and then they are thrown 
together and, and somehow they go through difficult circumstances. And in the end, yeah, nobody dies. In the end, she and a man is in a loving, happy relationship. The man suddenly becomes wonderful when he was first hated. We need both kinds of movies, right? We need both kinds. And the church needs to save the world by preaching a hard, uncompromising gospel so that people will have a loving, happy relationship with this wonderful man and God called Jesus. We need both. So there is pleading the gospel versus preaching the gospel. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 19, a teacher of the law came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. What would our typical response be if an unbeliever comes up to us and says, I will follow Jesus now? We will say maybe, oh, welcome, so good to have you in my fellowship group. I am so looking forward to our singing love songs to Jesus together and developing a passionate, intimate relationship with Jesus. We say that. What did Jesus say? Jesus says, do you have what it takes? Jesus, man. Okay, he didn't put it in these words, but let's read his words. Verse 20, Matthew 8, verse 20, Jesus replied, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of God has no place to lay his head. In other words, Jesus said, you follow me, you will suffer. You may never have a home to call your own. Two verses later, it's even harder, even more Lion of Judah. Verse 22, Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. It is not something that one of our cell group leaders will say to his care group who meet to study the Bible to develop this passionate, intimate relationship with Jesus. But if you are going to be helping to clean the flat of some elderly single person in Tevine Gardens, I can see a cell group leader saying that you will suffer. It will be totally inconvenient. You might get rashes. It's going to be dirt. But you give this task top priority, okay? Don't let your family deter you from serving the poor. That's, what, that's when a cell group leader might say, woman needs love, man needs respect. Woman looks to relationship, man looks for rewards. Men want to set a goal, execute it against great odds and then get a reward. Matthew chapter 19, verse 27. Peter asked Jesus, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there, will there be for us? Can you imagine 22 eyeballs roll up? And then they turn their heads, 11 heads towards Peter. You talk reward like that. You know, you talk reward like that, you, you really break the, 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 the relationship. Shouldn't the correct attitude be Peter? The correct attitude should to be should be your reward is a passionate, intimate, personal relationship with Jesus, the lover of your soul. Again, men don't talk like that. What did Jesus say? Matthew 19, verse 29. Jesus says, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are the first will be last, and many who are last will be the first. Jesus gave a lion answer, a hundred-time reward, Peter. The gospel is both a demanding mission and a personal relationship. 
I'll just drop passionate and intimate for now. We stress the relationship part because we present the gospel as though it were a chick flick instead of a men's movie, action movie. And Jesus gave Peter what men needed, respect. Love, personal, passionate, yes, but respect in equal measure. Relationship, yes, but also reward. And so we have this cycle develop. First, we have on the top left-hand corner a church culture that is built on Venus values, you know, from that, that book, the set B values. Uh, men are from Mars, women from Venus. And because the church is built on Venus values, we have more women than men who possess these values. It, it fits them. And, and so there are more women uh, who get involved in church. Okay, in PPH is what is 42% versus uh, 58%. And then, because of that, then there are a surplus of women who pushes the church to cater because there are simply more women. Then you have more, uh, uh, the, the church will cater more to Venus values. And then you go back to a church a culture that has Venus. It just goes round and round. So is the church being systematically feminized? You say, enough already, Kofi. Okay, enough. Can't you get over this obsession about manliness and church and all that? I say no. Maybe I should say no. Men has always taken the dangerous jobs. Men fight wars. They travel long distances to inhospitable places just because it's there. Let me tell you about my holiday to Korea uh, a couple of weeks ago. You know, we did all the great things. We made sushi, uh, not sushi, kimchi. And then we dress up and take picture in Korean national dress. Uh, and, and then there was a, a facial. I just sat there. I just sat there. Okay, there were only three men. Okay, there were nine ladies and three men in this group. So the other two men did facial. I just sat there. So I did all these things already. And then we came to this Jeju Island where there was this kind of a hill. Okay, some people call it a mountain. And then I wanted to climb it. And, uh, and, and Angela and I had the biggest quarrel. Say that your knees got problem la. You're carrying this heavy camera la. Don't climb la. And I left her and I climbed up. It's like, hey, have some balance. I already did kimchi, okay. <laughs> and I sat there for facial, okay. Uh, now just to climb up this, uh, not even mountain. It's like I can't do it. I'll die even trying to do it, you know. 94% of occupational deaths are men. We cannot. We cannot. We're just like that. Okay? Men are just like that. It's, it's as though you might as well like tell women, okay, get over your maternal instincts. It's not. We're just created different. And so today is Father's Day. Beautiful opportunity, right? Never get this again. Let's talk about PPH fathers. How are we fathers doing? I came across this um, survey, again, it's from America. It's called Youth in Protestant Churches. And they surveyed 2,365 uh, people. And what they found is, uh, they tell you the conclusion, that parents, fathers and mothers, are two to three times more effective in influencing the spiritual lives of their children. Okay, so you will see, do you view mom as being very re religious? 42% of Americans. Do you view your dad as being very religious? 33 okay, lower than a mom. 
You have talked with mom about faith, 62%. You have talked with dad about faith, 44%. Okay, that's always lower. And then my mom has significant influence on my faith, 73%. My dad has significant influence on my faith, 53%, 20% lower. And then when you look at some of the other things, my Sunday school, my youth group, my youth camp, Christian retreats, they're all in the 20s and 30s, way below. Okay, so fathers and mothers, two to three times more effective in spiritually influencing their children in America. Now, we come to PPH. So I did exactly the, the same survey in PPH among our loud gen, our youth uh, ministry, those from, say, 13 years old to about 20 years old. And I'm not even doing a sample, okay? It's full population, right? Do you view your mom as being very religious of the Christian parents, of those who have Christian parents? 82.9%. Do you view your dad as being very religious? 857 Hey, yay for dads! You have talked with your mom about faith, 80%. You have talked with your dad about faith, 80%. My mom has significant influence on my faith, 68.6%. My dad has significant influence on my faith, 68.6%. Yay for that. Good news, right? But that's bad news. The bad news are those in pink. Pink always brings bad news. My pastor has significant influence on my faith. Actually, it's good news. Huh? The pastor there refers to Joanne, our youth lay pastor. 74.3%, much higher than parents. Then the next few are, my Sunday school has significant influence on my faith. My youth group, a church youth camp, Christian retreat, and they are all in their 80s and 90s, higher than the 68.6% of fathers and mothers. So, I want to commend Joanne and her team. Because they've done wonderfully. They have managed only one Saturday a week to spiritually influence our children. I think that's a great job. Our Sunday school, um, what is it? 77.1% of our youth say that the Sunday school has a significant influence on their faith. Parents are somewhat lower. Somewhat lower. At least we say fathers and mothers are fairly equal. Okay, so that part is good. But I think there is something that is not quite right here. You know what Jesus said, right? Jesus said that the church must advance and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So we got to grow or we will die. Our focus is on the mission to reach the lost. Our focus is on the, the great commission to disciple nations, but we also disciple our family. And therefore, we take risks, we innovate, we place high demands on our members, we plan, we build, we fish for men. We don't just create a comfortable aquarium for the saints to swim around in. We take initiatives, we go on the offensive. The alternative? The alternative is to be defensive. Together in a cozy, loving, do-nothing, no-risking, fellowship-sharing group to sing love songs to Jesus. Then the men will get bored. The men will disengage from the church. The younger ones will be the first to leave. Then the young woman will follow. 
Then the young couples, they come and visit this church and say, there are very few people of my age, and then they won't stay. Then the Sunday school and, and the youth will close for lack of children, and soon our pews are filled with people who die. They dye their grey hair black, meaning older people. I think our survey shows that we have lost ground. We have lost ground, especially among parents. And who is responsible? Others. 70 years ago this month, there was a battle for lost ground. 6th of June, 1944. What was it? Normandy. D-Day. Normandy landings. A battle to reclaim lost ground that was lost to the Germans. 100 years before D-Day, on the same day, 6th of June, 18, oh, so, uh, 18, 80, sorry, what was it? 100 years before 84. 1884. 1884. There was another battle for lost ground, and this was to re-engage lost men that the church has lost to the world, men. The beginnings of YMCA, Young Men Christian Association. George William gathered 11 friends, and there they began their first meeting. And what did they focus on? They focused on sports and competition. At that time, it was deemed unchristian. The Christian thing to do was to do Bible study and prayer. The physical things, the fun things, were thought to threaten spiritual pursuits. You're going to be wasting your time playing sports. You should be in church praying. So what did YMCA do? YMCA built the first gymnasium in the year 1869 in the name of Christ. A gymnasium in the name of Jesus Christ. In 1881, a YMCA staff coined the term bodybuilding. We think that bodybuilding is probably the, worth, the most worthless pursuit a Christian can do. But it was coined by a YMCA staff. YMCA people invented basketball, volleyball, and racquetball. I couldn't believe it. So I went to check. Really? Basketball was invented by a YMCA guy? It's true. I went to check. I simply could not believe it. YMCA began vocational causes for men like fixing a car and that kind of stuff. They provided wholesome lodgings. Now you see YMCA hotels and people can check in there. Why? Because in those days, wherever there were hotels, there were prostitutes. So YMCA created wholesome lodgings. YMCA is one. Second one, 1865, the Salvation Army was formed. And that is an army that stirs the heart of men. You call something a Christian army today, that would be the most politically incorrect thing uh, to do. But this army did something. It did something for the hearts of men and it commanded respect when you go and serve the poor. In the 1800s, England found that 80% of boys raised through Sunday school left the church in their teens. So come 1883, William Alexander Smith formed the Boys' Brigade. The object of Boys' Brigade, the promotion of habits of obedience, reverence, discipline, self-respect, and all that tends toward Christian manliness. Boys commanded respect when they went to Boys' Brigade. It's more cool than going to Sunday school. Even now, I think. So don't let the church be feminized. I mean, I'm not using feminized in a bad way or anything, you know, but it's a matter of balance. We are lions, but we are also lambs. We are set A and we are also set B. 
we are men, half of humanity, the most unriched people's group on earth. So respect your men. One size does not fit all. Lambs are good, but don't get me wrong, I love to sing Jesus, lover of my soul. Seriously, I do. Okay? I close my eyes and I sing Jesus, lover of my soul. I will never let you go. But we also need to sing some lion songs. I came across this advertisement on Thursday in the Straits Times. For Father's Day, the best gift a man can get. Shave off your hair. So I took a closer look at, at this. Uh, Gillette Shavers. And this one is called Fusion Pro Glide. Okay? You check out the website, Fusion Pro Glide. It's got only one color, black. It's promoted with these phrases, breakthrough blade technology, advanced low-resistance coating, improved blade suspension system. It looks more like a weapon, right? <laughs> it has a five-blade razor. Then I found out that this exact same five-blade razor is also used in a woman's shaver. Exact same thing. But they call it Venus Embrace. Does it have one colour only? No way. Four colours. And the colours are called Passionista. Passionista for red, Malibu for orange, Oceana for blue, and pink. Pink is pink. They couldn't think of a better name for pink. It's curved. It's soft. And all of a sudden, shaving is no longer a task. It's no longer a job to be done. It becomes a relationship. And it looks like women shave their legs together, like in this picture. Just like they go to the toilet together. So Gillette pays attention to gender. Can I say that Gillette respects men? By having Fusion Pro Glide instead of Venus Embrace. Does the Church of Jesus Christ respect men? Let's be careful how we portray the church. Male and female created them here. Watch how we read the Bible. Watch how we sing to Jesus. And watch how we speak to one another. So let's come back to this survey on, of, of Lao Jen. It really bugs me. When I saw those numbers, it, it... On the one hand, I'm very glad that our Sunday school... You know, as a full-time staff, our Sunday school is doing well. Our, our Lao Jen is doing well. We are influencing the children. But the parents' influence is less than the church cannot be. We are the stewards of the family God has given to us. And I think we are not taking enough risks I use the word risk. I think Joanne and her team are taking risks. They are taking initiatives to engage our youth. Our Sunday school is constantly thinking of ways to engage our children. So recently I saw on Facebook, WWF. I thought, oh my goodness, Lao Jen is getting into wrestling. You know, Worldwide Wrestling Federation. Then I found out it's no, it's not. It's they're, they're, they're using, what is it? Words with friends. It's one of these Facebook, social media scrabble like thing and they're using that to engage our youth to memorize scripture hey 
WWF means memorizing scripture. It was an engagement. Our young ones are being called up to, to preach. They lead cell groups. We even have baking classes. Don't, don't think that we're all lions, okay? We have baking classes. Why? Because before the kids come into the service, they have cookies. And we are engaging. We are taking some risk because some of these will fall flat on their face. Try new things. But they say men are natural risk takers. You look at banking and trading. There are way more men in trading than there are women. And these men's investment portfolios are always more risky than the women's one. But I think this orientation is important for the church because risk, okay, I say it the other way around. Faith is always linked to risk. Right? It's always linked to risk. If you don't risk, the church will atrophy. If you keep on doing the same old things that we've always been doing, I believe the church will atrophy. You look at the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. A guy was given 10 talents, given 5, given 2, given 1. And what did Jesus say? What did they do with it? The guy with 10 got 10 more. If you give 10 talents to a trader uh, who trades securities, you know, equity and derivatives and all that, what will he do? He will risk it to earn 10 more. If you give it to somebody who doesn't want to take risk, he hides it under his pillow. When Jesus comes back, he gives back 10. No risk taken? Very safe. No faith needed because no risks are taken. What did Jesus say? Matthew chapter 25, verse 21. To the person who was given 10 talents, took some risk, had some faith, he might lose it, but he got 10 more. Jesus said, well done good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. What about the one who did nothing? The one who took no risks? Verse 26, the master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. Find ways and means of reaching our own family our children. For some of us who are older here, uh, uh, maybe your children has left home or whatever, our family, our parents, let's take risks so that Jesus comes around, he will say, you are a good and faithful servant because you've taken initiative. Not just let it go. Okay, I think I've said enough. Okay, now I want to do something cute. I want to have a compulsory altar call. That is all men. <laughs> okay, men. Men, you are so nice. You, know, you wear the same T-shirt. You, know, you don't complain about different colors. You are such wonderful people. Okay, all the lions of Judah, please. Anybody has a camera here? Uh, use a mobile phone. I want to, some of us ladies take the picture and then, uh, and then send it to me, okay? And then I'll post it somewhere. So men, would you like to just come forward as a compulsory altar call? We'll take a picture together and I'd like to pray uh, a prayer for all fathers together today. Okay, please come. Let's come right up, right up, okay? Us dying breed, come.
Ah, you have. Okay. Um, Morgan, can you turn on maximum lights? Tell you what, worship team, come, come to. We have a couple of minutes. Worship team. Let's sing this song for I'm building a people of power. Come, let's stand together and sing this song together just uh, once through only for I'm building a people of power. For I'm building a people of power Faster And I'm making a people of praise that will move through this land by my spirit and will glorify my precious name. Build your church, Lord. Make us strong, Lord. Heart, Lord, to your side. Make us one, Lord, in your body, in the kingdom of your son. Okay, let's take a picture and uh, I want to pray for all fathers today. Let's keep our eyes open. Uh. No need to close eyes. Yeah. <laughs> so we don't get a picture of all eyes closed. Oh Lord God, our Father, would you bless this man? May they be strengthened as Christian fathers. Let the example of their faith and love shine forth. Grant that their sons and daughters may honor them always with a spirit of profound respect. And I pray that you will grant this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. We end the service today.